from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is the Anxiety Bites Podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Let's talk about the vagus nerve. Now, I've heard this term, and I can't believe in my billions of years working on my anxiety that no one really ever mentioned it to me. I mean, I guess you don't need to know what it is. But it's pretty fascinating to know that we have this nerve that sends signals to almost every part of our body. And there are ways to stimulate this nerve that don't involve touching it directly. It's not like a muscle that you would get a massage on, but that 
when this nerve is sort of pooped out, it disrupts the signals it's trying to send to certain parts of our body for digestion or for, you know, thinking clearly. It covers so many different things. And so I guess it's just more knowledge so that when you think about doing a relaxation exercise or doing a meditation, you might think, oh, I don't need to do that. I feel okay mentally. I'm in a good mood. And it's like, well, it's not just about your mood. You know, you want to stimulate your vagus nerve so that things are running a-okay in your body. And it's not something that we have to like obsess over and worry about. Oh my God, I didn't stimulate my vagus nerve today. But it's just something to be aware of that it kind of contributes to the overall. And so there's so much that this nerve does that I actually have two episodes coming out about it. Today I'm talking to Dr. Nawaz Habib about more physical aspects of the vagus nerve. And he has a book titled Activate your vagus nerve, unleash your body's natural ability to heal gut sensitivities, inflammation, brain fog, anxiety, autoimmunity, depression. And then next week's episode, I'll be talking to someone about, you know, healing emotional trauma and what emotional trauma does to the vagus nerve. So at the end of this episode, before I get to the takeaways, I will read to you from Dr. Habib's book about some of the exercises that you can do, whether it's daily or ones that are better to do just weekly to help activate the vagus nerve. I won't give you all of them. You can get the rest in his book, but just to give you an idea. So I'm just going to get right to this episode because this is all kind of newer to me. So let's just let the expert talk about it. And I don't need to um, keep babbling about the vagus nerve. But yeah, I mean, this is almost like, you know, a, uh, like the cliff notes version of what the vagus nerve does. I mean, if you know a lot about it, you're probably going to sit there and be like, oh my God, there's so much more. And it's like, I know, I know. Um, so anyway, my guest today, Dr. Navaz Habib is an author. He's also the founder of Health Upgraded, a functional medicine and health optimization clinic in Toronto, Canada. He works with high-performing professionals, athletes, and entrepreneurs to dig a little deeper and find the answers to what's holding back their health. Again, he's also the author of Activate Your Vagus Nerve, and all, uh, all links will be in the show notes right here where you can get the book and find out more about Dr. Habib. And for now, let's find out more about the vagus nerve. Well, the vagus nerve, and everyone listening, it's not spelled like Las Vegas, V-A-G-U-S. I'm sure they know because they're reading along. But I had heard of the vagus nerve, and throughout this podcast, smart people I've talked to have casually mentioned it. And I kept thinking, I have to do a vagus nerve episode. And when I read your book, Activate Your Vagus Nerve, Unleash Your Body's Natural Ability to Heal, I was blown away by everything that our vagus nerve, I'm not sure if controls is the right word, but I will say casually controls or has a hand in. And so let's just start real basic. What is the vagus nerve and what are the main things in the body it controls? Yeah, the book the book goes into a lot more depth, but we can definitely cover the basics here. And so, um, we we have lots of nerves in our body, and 
the reason I talk about this one is because it's a special nerve. It, it really does a lot more than people realize. It connects to so many different places. That's in fact why they named it the vagus nerve. It came from the root word of vague or like, I guess it means wandering, meaning that it goes to so many different places. So it's one of 12 pairs of cranial nerves that comes out of the brainstem, which is that little projection just below the like brain as we know it, where if you've ever watched um, the water boy, he talks about the medulla oblongata. That's exactly where the vagus nerve actually comes out. Okay, so, great. Uh, where it comes out, it comes out one on each side. There's four roots and then they come out and they connect and then they actually blend together. The right side and the left side blend together. And it has different branches that go to a bunch of different areas, like all of the other 12 cranial nerves. Primarily, they're going to hit areas in the head and face area. So things like eye uh, control and facial muscles are controlled through the cranial nerves. But the vagus nerve does a bit more than that. So it does have a little bit of control in and around the head and neck. It actually sends a branch to the ear uh, for skin uh, sensation. It sends a couple of branches to the throat, to the pharynx and to the larynx. Those are the muscles at the back of the throat that allow the airway to remain open and the laryngeal muscles. So it helps to pull and push the, uh, the vocal cords. So it in fact is what gives us pitch and tone in our voice. So the reason I can go really, really low or really, really high with my voice is because I have tone or tonality within my vagus nerve. I'm sending signals through there to stretch the muscles and pull the vocal cords accordingly. But then it continues down and it actually courses in the neck right beside the carotid artery and the jugular vein. And what makes Ooh, that really Those special... are two scary <laughs> things. I, I always feel like you don't want to hit those. <laughs> exactly. So it's actually funny enough, it's inside the same sheath. It's inside the same tissue as those two blood vessels. So those are the blood vessels that supply blood to the brain and take blood away from the brain. And so it just goes to show how important this nerve truly is because if it gets severed or if anything within that sheath gets severed the function of our body is going to be severely limited and so as it goes down it then enters into the thorax into the chest area where it innervates the heart to control heart rate and do a whole bunch of other stuff it goes to the lungs to monitor the breath rate it doesn't control it but it does monitor it and that's really important and it talks about inflammation it supports the inflammation response within all of these organs as well but it doesn't stop there it continues on down with the esophagus and goes through the diaphragm into our abdomen, into our belly, where it then innervates essentially every single organ within the entire belly. There's no other nerve in the body that does anything like this. It's going to innervate the spleen, the kidneys, the liver, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, you name it. Every organ has some sort of connection to the vagus nerve. And that's what really stuck out to me about the topic, about this nerve. It's always stuck out to me. I'm a chiropractor by profession. And so like nervous system, brain function has always been a huge piece of my my journey in, in understanding health. And so this one always stuck out as a really important piece of the puzzle. And so that's why I wanted to share once I learned a bit more about what it does, that it needed to be told to people because there's such an important controlling mechanism here. And you were using a word, is, is it innervate? Is that what you were saying? It means supply? Am I that's that exactly right? right. So it, it means connect to and send signals to or from. I do want to talk about this concept that you do mention in the book that the vagus nerve has a function in, which is gut health. But before we even get to that, I just have a really silly question. Why, 
I mean, this is just a philosophical question, but why, why have this one nerve do so much? Isn't that dangerous? And shouldn't it delegate to other nerves? Is it, or is there an advantage to having one nerve do so much? It's a really great question. Um, if, if I knew the full answer to that, I think I'd be on par with whatever ultimate being there is out there. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a full answer to that. Um, we do know that 75% of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is kind of what that rest, digest, recovery system is signaled through the vagus nerve. And yeah, it is a single point of failure potentially, right? And in, in certain uh, indices, but I don't think it was built out with the intention of ever having been injured uh, severely, right? Um, and so that's why it's it's encased in a very important sheath. It uh, connects left and right. It has a couple different kind of backup plans, essentially. It can go up through either side and connect to the same area and send signals accordingly. Um, so, so there is a bit of a backup plan built into it, but it just... It's more of a, a thermostat type of function than it is a signaling out from the brain function. And so it's not as uh, worrisome if anything does happen. That said, trauma and injury to the nerve would create and does create significant challenges to a lot of people. I want to address this because the words gut health and mind-body connection and inflammation are very popular in our culture. I think a lot of people take those terms and run with it in ways that I think are damaging. So let's demystify these things because your book goes so well into explaining. And honestly, it's like taking a college course in, you know, biology. But you say in this, I'm going to read your book to you. One of the most likely low-grade stressors that you may not be aware of is the bacteria living in and around you. The population of bacteria living in your gut and on your skin has a significant effect on us. And if that population is not optimally balanced, it can be a major stressor on your body. So, so let's start there. What, what does that mean? What is gut health? How does it relate to being a stressor on the body, which I assume would come up in the form of stress, anxiety, even pain? Yeah, absolutely. Um, best way to kind of simplify this and understand it within context is that we have between 40 and 60 trillion human cells in our body. And these 40 to 60 trillion human cells can't function on their own in the environment that we are in. They require support from some external uh, cells and organisms. And these are things that we generally can't see. And those are the bacteria, parasites, viruses, yeast, worms that are all around us. With the majority of these other organisms, we have a symbiotic relationship, meaning that we work really well with them and they work really well with us. Our body provides them with nutrients that they need. They assimilate and provide us nutrients that we need. And over the millennia of our evolution, we have evolved to uh, have this very positive relationship with the vast majority of these microbiome supporting or microbiome producing uh, populations. So I said we have between 40 and 60 trillion human cells in our body. Just in our large intestine alone, we have over 100 trillion bacteria. Mm. 
So that population is really quite important. And I know it sounds a little hokey when we talk about gut health, when we talk about microbiome, but the science is finally starting to catch up. And it's actually starting to identify exactly where these challenges can come from and what this dysbiosis, meaning imbalance within the gut, can lead to. Okay. Uh, I, I have instituted testing in my own practice. So I, I actually help people identify where the challenges are coming from at a microbiome level using stool testing, using DNA-based stool testing to identify exactly oh, what great. types of bacteria are around. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot about on this podcast about the concept of chemical imbalance when it comes to treating anxiety and depression with medication. There's just no test, you know, and something like this, we hear gut health. I'm glad to hear that there is actually a way to find out what's in there and what's imbalanced. Yeah. So this is what, uh, what I kind of practice in, in my own life, in my own journey, I found functional medicine, which really helped me to uh, support my own health. I used to weigh 250 pounds, high blood pressure, borderline diabetes in my 20s, and just was dealing with significant health challenges. Energy was always low. And when I was introduced to this, it was a bit of a shock to my system. I was going through chiropractic college. I thought I knew everything about health. I'm going to be able to share this with so many people, but I wasn't implementing it myself. And then when functional medicine came around, it really helped open my eyes to beyond what we tend to kind of see in a conventional system. And the testing was key to this. When we understand biochemically what's truly going on within our body, when we have uh, the step-by-step processes shown to us based on the, the actual testing that we see through gut testing, through urinary organic acid testing, through hormone testing, these can help us to really pick out the specific areas where we as an individual are having issues. And then this is where we can kind of marry new world scientific insights and tools that we have through testing with old world wisdom that's been there through traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Mediterranean medicine, and has truly slowly transformed into kind of this natural alternative care type of idea, even though it's not truly alternative. It's something that's been there for much longer than the conventional system that we're in. Right. It's an alternative to the newer thing we made up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I've worked with many people that are dealing with mental health struggles, a lot of people with autoimmune conditions, a lot of people with these underlying root causes. And when we identify what that root cause is, and it's often about 95% of the time, I can identify that microbiome imbalance, that dysbiosis that's going on within the gut that's affecting the gut health. And so we actually have scientific like proof of why the problem is occurring, why we're leading down this path of uh, inflammatory reaction within the gut that's leading elsewhere. We also, just as a side note, 70% of our immune cells by volume are located in the lining of the gut. And so this is where inflammation will often come up. We have this protective mechanism because we know that not all good things are in the gut. It's not all good bacteria, um, parasites, worms, candida, all these things do pop up. And so we need to protect ourselves from it. And if we're not providing the right tools for the immune system to be able to handle those threats, that's where the problems tend to occur. Um, that comes down to diet. That comes down to breathing. That comes down to vagus nerve activity because the vagus nerve is supplying information to that area, to the gut lining, to the inflammatory cells. It, in fact, controls an entire system called the cholinergic anti-inflammatory system, literally 
is controlled through the vagus nerve. If that signaling isn't present, then we can't put the brakes on an accelerator, basically. So what I like to say is our, our bodies are like a car and the accelerator is like the sympathetic nervous system where we go into fight or flight. We're in go mode. But when we get to a red light or when we get to a yellow light, we need to slow down. We need to be able to shut off or, or decrease the speed by which we're going. If we can't do that, we're going to cause major issues, right? We're going to go through a red light. We're going to hurt somebody potentially. And so the brakes are the parasympathetic nervous system. The vagus nerve is the brakes to the entire system. We'll be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Okay, so the vagus nerve monitors what's going on in the gut. And and again, at the end of the episode, we'll get to more solution-based. But So there is a world where, not just through diet, which I know does affect the vagus nerve, but certain 
exercises we can do, whether it's acupuncture or massage or changing our sleep, that can change how the vagus nerve monitors the gut and somehow help heal? Or am I kind of relating that in a way that's not correct? Oftentimes, what exacerbates the issues that we are experiencing is the fact that the vagus nerve is under too much pressure. So when we, if we go back to the brakes a little bit as a very simple example, brake pads wear out. In the same way, the vagus nerve can get overworked. If we're constantly providing inflammatory um, ah. challenges to the body, the brakes are going to wear out. The vagus nerve can't handle a ton of constant chronic inflammatory issues that are constantly coming up. And so slowly and surely, the vagus tone is going to decrease. The ability for our vagus nerve to send these signals on a regular basis is going to come down. And so what we need to do is to do the exercises, do the tools, and provide the vagus nerve an opportunity to do the work that it needs to do without providing more chronic inflammatory reactions on a regular basis. So this is what they do. Um, when, when we do the deep breathing exercise, when we do the meditation, when we do the, the good gut health cleanses and the, the detoxes, if that's the plan that you want to go down, um, what we're essentially doing is we're decreasing the inflammatory triggers and we're giving the body a chance to heal itself. The body truly does know how to heal itself, but we have to give it the right environment, the right tools, the right inputs to be able to do so. And so that's where the exercises will help to provide that initial step. And for some people, we might need to go a step further where we actually change the microbiome using probiotics, where we actually address uh, specific, potentially genetic, some somewhat functional imbalances with certain supplements or certain uh, ingredients that need to be included within their diet. And that's where we can work on the optimization side of things, where we can actually help the body to function at a slightly better level. It's almost like a biohacking type of idea, but in a very clinical and very test-based sense, so we know exactly what we're trying to accomplish. And that's why um, the vast majority of people that work with a properly trained functional medicine practitioner, somebody that understands the function of the body really well, often have really good results. When I think about inflammation, I often say, if I'm feeling off, I don't know how else to put it, I might say, I feel like there's inflammation somewhere. I don't mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about, but it's just become a new word in my life. And what exactly is inflammation? I mean, I assume something is literally inflamed. Yes. Or, uh, and then, so how does it happen? How do we bring it down and kind of demystify this other buzzword I hear a lot? Totally. So inflammation is our body's response to trauma and stress within uh, different ways. And there's, there's four different types of stressors that can trigger inflammatory responses. Emotional stress is one. We can have this brain inflammation that pops up that leads to brain fogginess, inability to think clearly, memory challenges. And this can happen because we're dealing with relationship stress or financial stress on a day-to-day -day basis, kids, etc. A really rough night with my kids last night. So I <laughs> you're like raw kids in my anyway. head right now. <laughs> um, so emotional stress is one. Psychological stress is another one. And, and you may say, well, what's the difference between emotional and psychological? Psychological is more kind of past related. What are the challenges that we experienced potentially as a child, potentially as we were growing up, that created the scratches on the lens through which we see the world, right? So I only see the world in this way because I was affected in a negative way in the past. 
right? What are those emotional attachments that we have that have created that, that scuff on the lens? Okay, so a little bit different. We always want to look at the timeline when we're looking at a certain case when somebody's experienced potentially trauma or something when they were younger. And then we have physical stress. These are the things that we think of when we think of inflammation more commonly. We're thinking about a car accident and we've uh, hurt ourselves, we've whiplash, etc. And now we have to send all of these cells to this area to help repair the damage. And that's what inflammation is initially. In the acute sense, inflammation is sending these cells to an area that's damaged to help support repair of it. Inflammation is a good thing in an acute scenario. When that inflammation can't be controlled is when it becomes a bad thing. And so the physical sense is like, let's think of a bruise on our arm. We get this big swelling. We get that inflammatory warm response. That's because the blood flow is going to that area to help to repair that damage. So that's a really simple way to think about it. But physical uh, stress will create that. And then the last one is biochemical stress. And this is generally the stuff that we don't see until it's maybe a little bit late. This is where food sensitivities can come in for a lot of people that are dealing with specific sensitivities to, for some people, gluten, for some people, dairy, for some people, um, nightshade vegetables can do it. For some people, meat can do it, right? Like different people have different triggers that can create this biochemical response. So for some people, it's a food-based thing, but for a lot of other people, we have to add it to this entire realm of toxic ingredients that are around us, right? The pesticides that are sprayed on our foods, the, um, inorganic laundry detergent that we use or the um, chemicals that are on receipt paper when we get a receipt from Costco or from wherever we're shopping as we walk out we're holding this receipt paper which is sending bisphenol A, BPA into our bloodstream. The longer you hold that by the way the more you're going to absorb so do your best to just toss your receipt onto the cart Get those or receipts emailed people. Text and email. <laughs> as much as you can yes. <laughs> Those right? CVS so, receipts are killing us. <laughs> that's exactly right. So we want to be really careful about this toxic burden because that excess toxin load that our body then has to handle will only add to the inflammatory response that our body is going to create. We have a lot that we have to deal with. Our liver is detoxifying constantly. And if our body doesn't have the capacity to handle it, then as that toxic burden goes up, that biochemical stress increases our inflammatory response gets hindered more and more. And so the response is what's mediated through the vagus nerve. How do we help to limit how much inflammation is occurring? Inflammation is good. Like I said, in an acute scenario, it helps to repair tissue. It sends the, the cells to the area that are going to help repair the white blood cells, the fibroblasts. We don't need to get into the specifics, but it's going to mm -hmm. send the specific cells to that area through the blood to repair damage. If that does not get controlled, then our immune response and our inflammatory response is uncontrolled. And that's where the problem will occur. When we have chronic inflammation, chronic uncontrolled inflammation is essentially we're stepping on the accelerator and not allowing the brakes to do their job, not allowing the brakes to slow it down and to limit inflammation. The way inflammation occurs within the body is a traumatic incident of some sort occurs. We send cells to the area. There's a ton of chemical reactions, we don't need to get into the specifics, but that's going to send more and more cells to the area to repair. If it happens in certain areas like joints, we're going to get things like rheumatoid arthritis. If it happens in the thyroid, we're going to get Hashimoto's thyroiditis. If it happens in the brain, we could get things like MS or brain fog or significant challenges that occur long term. We need to control the inflammation 
And that signal is sent through the vagus nerve via that cholinergic anti-inflammatory system, which is mediated there. So where the, the vagus nerve is the brakes to help control what that inflammation is going to do. So if I'm a person who is suspect that maybe I have some inflammation in my body, I am feeling whatever that feels like because of the vagus nerve. Is that correct? It, when the vagus nerve identifies that there are inflammatory signals around our body, it can signal upwards uh, via the 80% of signals that go from the body to the brain through the vagus nerve. Yes. But it's not the same as like when you feel somebody touching your hand. Those are going through skeletal nerves. Those are the nerves that go via our spinal cord. So there's different nerves that'll have different functions. Mm -hmm. We can't truly feel through our vagus nerve. It's not feeling from like a sense perspective. It's more of autonomic monitoring. So think of it more like the thermostat of our, of our body. Anxiety Bites will be right back after a quick little message from one of our sponsors. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. 
You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned that acute inflammation is part of how the body heals. And a really good example of something on your arm swelling, we're going to have a little lump there for a while. But when something is chronically inflamed, that's when it's moved into a disordered area. And that is, again, another through line that happens throughout this podcast is same for anxiety. You know, we need our acute moments of anxiety so that we don't get hit by a car or we know to respond to something and then it's disordered when we feel that way all of the time. If I'm experiencing brain fog because of inflammation in my brain, is my brain literally swollen? I'll give you an example. My dad, um, 10 years ago, he's fine now, thank God, but fell down, hit his head and had a subdural hematoma and his brain was swelling because, I'm not telling you this, but you know, to the listeners and correct me if I'm wrong, but the there was blood starting to pool and his brain was swelling and moving away from it so you know to protect itself and then of course that caused him not to be able to speak he was making no sense he had to have a surgery to drain the blood now obviously that's not what my brain is doing when i'm having brain fog but is it not to a small extent that's exactly right to a very very small extent not to the point where it's actually going to trigger a pressure increase within the cranial cavity like it does in the case of your father's with subdural hematoma. So with an acute physical trauma where you hit your head, where there's a traumatic brain injury of some sort, whether it's a whiplash style or concussion style injury, those are physical reasons for inflammation to occur within the brain uh, in and around the brain. And subdural means just below in the meninges. So it's in the casing around the brain. When that happens, when there's bone that's kind of blocking it, then we actually have this swelling that's physically pushing on the brain, right? So Uh, this is uh like it's going to affect a specific area. Say, for example, in your dad's case, it was affecting his speech area. His inability to speak came from physically having pressure on that area. When it comes to something like a biochemical response, a biochemical inflammation, we're looking at just activation of some of the cells within the brain and the nervous system itself. And these are called glial cells and astrocytes. These cells make up, they're, they're called glial cells because they were initially thought to be the glue, but they're really the immune cells within the brain. And so what they do is they are the ones that are constantly making sure that there isn't any damage occurring within the brain. They're pruning nerve endings. They're making sure that the nerves are 
uh, are functioning at, at the best possible level. But when they become hyperactivated because we're under some sort of stress, some sort of inflammatory response, usually within our gut, and we can get into that, it's yes, going please, to next, trigger. Yeah. It's going to trigger the glial cells to do too much. And so they will actually shut down more neurons than they need to. And that actually slows processing speed within our brain. Oh, that is so well explained. Okay, so we've got these little glial cells and they're doing their thing and they're making everything nice. Mm -hmm. So I'm experiencing stress, brain fog, and now it's saying, oh boy, she, she can't handle all this. Let me shut down some neurons. And that's like the last thing I need. Yeah. And so now I'm having trouble maybe with memory or I'm just feeling a little bit unable to perform my tasks or my job at the level I'm used to. Brain fog. And that is coming from some kind of stress, either in my body or emotional stress. Exactly right. Uh, all compounded okay. together. So now tell me about that connection with the gut. Yeah. So this is the best part where we actually get into that gut-brain axis, gut-brain connection. Mm -hmm. When we are a fetus, we develop out of things called somites. Okay. So we've got literally these chunks of cells that are stem cells that progenerate into different types of tissues. And the same somite that develops into our blood-brain barrier, literally the barrier that controls what blood can send into the brain and what can come out also develops the exact same thing in the gut. And that is the gut lining. That essentially is what's protecting our body, our human cells from what's living within the tube of our intestines and our stomach and et cetera. And so the lining of the gut and the lining of the blood brain barrier come from the same things. Meaning that if we have some sort of reaction to microbiome imbalance, we have some sort of food sensitivity that causes a leakiness within our gut, a breakdown of that lining within the gut. It will eventually create a breakdown of the lining within the brain. And so that leads to inflammation that can get into the brain, creating that glial cell activation, creating brain fog, creating those challenges internally at a very low microscopic level. But it does occur. And this is something that's been proven time and time again in the science more recently. And I think, is serotonin produced in the large intestine as well, right? 94% of the serotonin within our body is located within the gut and the gut lining. So generally with the medication side of things, you're looking at an SSRI, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, meaning that yeah. the serotonin that gets released into the synapse where the actual occurrence of these neurotransmitters uh, occurs, where the chemical reaction is that the serotonin is sent out into the synapse. And the postsynaptic membrane, essentially where the signal is sent to, what we're trying to do is keep more of the serotonin in the synapse. We're not trying to reuptake or bring that serotonin back into the neuron. And so the inhibitors will create a state of more serotonin present within the synapse, within that gap area. Oftentimes it's occurring because in, in certain cases, there's a genetic predisposition to not being able to produce serotonin. And in some cases, it's because you have a methylation issue that you're not able to break that serotonin down effectively. And so there is a very common, very, very real connection between taking anti-anxiety, antidepressive medications and the effect that it then has in the gut because it's affecting that 94% of serotonin located within the gut lining. And talk to me about IBS and yeah. the vagus nerve and mental health. Because I always feel like a few people have mentioned on this show that 
they themselves had IBS and it was a direct line with panic attacks. And, and again, this is one of those things where we're not saying it's in your head, you don't have IBS and we're not saying, oh, it's your fault. You have it. You need to, you know, um, meditate twice a day and it, it'll go away. But, but what is the connection there? There is a middle point there for sure. And so that is linked to that 94% of serotonin that's located in the gut lining. Just from, from kind of a personal thing, I really dislike the diagnosis, irritable bowel syndrome. Literally, they're telling you that your bowel is irritable and you're the one that told them that your bowel is irritable, whether it's constipation, diarrhea, some sort of trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just turning words to say that it's something called IBS. Uh, that said, what's causing that, right? Like, why, yeah. why is there an imbalance? And that comes down to two different things. Either you're not getting great signaling from your brain through your vagus nerve to those intestines where they can actually then go and do their job. Or secondly, there's a microbiome imbalance that's triggering it. And so no meditation twice a day is not going to solve it, right? It's not going to affect it that well. We need to be able to identify why. Is it a combination of those two? And in what state, in what sense, is it a combination of those two? That's where the testing really comes in handy. So when we have dysbiosis, when we have a bacterial imbalance, What's essentially happening is that relationship between our bacteria and our human cells is not as symbiotic as we want it to be. And that creates leakiness and that creates those microinflammation things in that 70% of immune cells located in the gut lining. The vagus nerve is going to signal to the intestines to keep food moving along, it's called peristalsis. And if we don't have that signal occurring, then we have stagnation. We have things that either slow it down or speed it up way too much. And that can lead to diarrhea or constipation. And in some cases, both. Either you're completely on one side or you're completely on the other or you flip back and forth. And so it's it's generally a vagus nerve signal that's not strong because you're under some sort of excessive stress that's burnt down the brakes. And there's some sort of biochemical imbalance that's occurring. So it's a chicken and the egg scenario. It can be vagus nerve only. It can be uh, dysbiosis only. But when it's combined, that's when we really get this diagnosis of IBS. And then because it's so heavily linked to the serotonin levels and so heavily linked to neurotransmitters and the enteric nervous system, there's a heavy link between anxiety, depression, and gut health issues uh, like IBS. So that makes sense. Because the vagus nerve has so many things to monitor, if it's busy monitoring my irritable bowels, as you say, it's not really what it is, but which I appreciate. I totally get that. Um, I hate the way some things are named. It makes me crazy. If I'm doing things and we'll, we'll get to it to activate my vagus nerve, if I am meditating and doing breathing, one thing that's helping is that it's decreasing some of the stress on the vagus nerve so that in a way, philosophically, it should be helping to de-stress that vagus nerve that has those worn out breaks so that it can do its jobs, but we still have to attend to the actual body part that it's affecting. But if you are only attending to your IBS and you're stressing about it, you know, maybe give yourself a little bit of a leg up by trying to reduce the stress around your chronic illness. That's exactly right. It's counterintuitive to be stressed out about something while trying to fix it. Again, I think with the casual way that people throw around things like mind-body connection, I think when people are in that really sensitive state of stress around something physical, it really sounds like someone is saying, 
it's all in your head or the only way to solve it is in your head. And, and so I'm glad we just broke it down. So a couple other things in your book that were very interesting to me was the vagus nerve and its effect on heart rate, breathing, Mm -hmm. vocal cords even. But there was one, I just want to clear this one up because you talk about um, someone having a dysfunctional heart rate and someone who may faint. Mm -hmm. And you you say that, you know, at that point, the um, autonomic system is unable to regulate the heart and blood vessels. Could be genetic, could be some kind of outside trauma, like, you know, a pregnancy or something. But so there are there people that they don't just have what we have, which is occasionally the, the vagus nerve has some worn down brake pads, but they have a chronic thing that is vagus nerve specific. Yeah. I wouldn't go as, yeah. I, I think when you get into something like vasovagal syncope, where there's fainting, where there's actual like pots, for example, when you get up from a standing or from a laying position into a standing position uh, and you have an immediate uh, hypotension, meaning your blood pressure drops significantly because it's monitored through the vagus nerve. If the vagus nerve can't signal that information up, then often people will have uh, balance issues, falling, fainting, etc. cetera. Um, mm. I think it's just, that's, that's when there's actual physical breakdown of the vagus nerve function. So it's a, a the brakes are worn down even further, but in a different area. So it's more heart focused, more lung focused rather than it being gut focused. And so those people may, and again, it may be genetic, like there's nothing they can quote do about it. I wouldn't, no, I, I, I would say that there is absolutely something they can do about it, but sometimes the therapy needs to be a bit more aggressive is probably the best way to put that. Uh, whether it's like a vestibular type of therapy, whether there's something else from like a functional neurological perspective that can be addressed to help rebuild the the brake pads in the other areas, we we can go and do that. Genetically, there are some predisposition, but genetics never pulls the trigger. Genetics only loads the gun, right? And so I hear it way too often that, well, my family had this, so I'm going to have it. Uh, I have family history of this, so I'm, yeah, you might be at a higher risk. Genetics really only plays about a 30% role in the production of an issue in the next generation. It's, it's, that's something that's been proven over and over again now, but um, about 70% of what you are actually experiencing is because of your environment and because of the stressors and how you respond to those stressors, emotional, psychological, biochemical, and physical. So that's what I would say would probably be the best way to explain like how, how to uh, distinguish between genetics and environment is if you know what your genetics are saying, then you can make your environment do what it needs to do to support it. We'll continue the interview on the flip side of a quick message from our sponsors. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. 
It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, okay, so you talk about, in your book, breathing incorrectly, which, again, is, you know, nobody wants to hear this out there in the anxiety world. We want a quicker fix, but most of us can be just breathing incorrectly, not even in a moment of panic, just the way we exist every minute of the day. What uh, I'm assuming we're hyperventilating ourselves by taking short, quick breaths. Is that is that what you mean by breathing incorrectly in your book? To some extent, yeah, exactly. If you watch a newborn baby breathe, just have them lay down. Like next time you're around somebody with a, a young baby. Just watch what they're doing when they're laying down, especially watch what the breathing pattern is. Check to see if their lungs are expanding at their chest level or if it's their belly that's going up and down. I guarantee you, you will see it. It's their belly. Their belly is rising and falling ever so slightly. 
enough, but that's a sign that we should be breathing in that pattern. Now, 90% of people breathe incorrectly. Oftentimes, that's something that we've learned to do. Okay, so I see it in my kids. I have a five-year-old daughter. I have a one-year-old daughter. I get anxious because of it a lot myself. Yeah. But I see, even with my five-year-old, that her breathing patterns have shifted into becoming a lot more chest-based. When we breathe with just our chest muscles, and so I'll, I'll ask, for example, I'll get her to take a deep breath when she's getting stressed out. When she gets riled up, she's at a theme park or doesn't want to eat the food, she gets into this hyperventilating <laughs> state. And she's just using her upper back muscles, her, her uh, accessory breathing muscles around her lungs, and she's sucking in her belly when she's trying to take in that deep breath. It's mm. exactly paradoxical to what we should be doing if you watch the baby, right? The baby in their non-stressed state is going to be breathing with their belly. When we get into this paradoxical breathing where we're actually sucking our diaphragm up and that's creating um, a, not a great vacuum by which we then can suck in air. It's A, not allowing the diaphragm to do the job that it needs to do. The diaphragm is the primary breathing muscle. And so we need to be breathing through our diaphragm first. No question about it. That's the biggest thing that most people, both within the anxiety world and well outside the anxiety world, I, I assure you, yeah, vast majority are breathing incorrectly. It's not you. It's what we've been taught. We've been taught that big bellies are bad. We've been taught that the when we're stressed, we have to kind of get into the state. And it's a subconscious thing. It's not something that we've been aware of. And so what we need to do is retrain ourselves to get into the state that, okay, we're in an anxious state. Close your eyes for a second. And I'm sure you've heard this a billion times, but take a deep breath, right? Yeah. What does that mean? When you say take a deep breath, oftentimes we're going to go, <gasps> and we're going to take that deep breath in our chest and we're not doing it correctly. We need to breathe with our belly. So simple exercise for everybody to do. If you put your one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly, and I ask you to take a deep breath. What I want you to keep an eye on is which hand is moving when you take that deep breath in. Mm. And the answer should always be the hand that's on your belly. It should expand as you breathe in and it should retract and go back in as you breathe out. What that means is you're using your diaphragm. And so if you can think of it this way, even with my five-year-old, I do this. So it, it tends to work most of the time. Yeah. I tell her we have two balloons. We have a balloon in our chest and we have a balloon in our belly. And when she's stressed out, I ask her and I put my hands on her belly. I get her to lie down if I can, if she'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, I want you to blow up this balloon over here. And I have to touch it so that she feels this is where I want it to come. And so when she takes that deep breath in, the first few times, it's going to be a chest breath. And I say, nope, over here, we need to do it on your belly. And so we eventually, after three, four, five breaths, we'll see all of a sudden the breath is shifting into the belly and we're expanding that balloon. So I want everybody, as a very simple visualization, as a really easy tool, we don't want to inflate this balloon. We want to inflate the balloon below. What it's going to do is it's going to create a vacuum within our diaphragm and we're actually going to inflate the lungs further. What that's going to do is when the diaphragm is going up and down the way it should be, that is yeah. actually creating the signal in the vagus nerve, it's actually physically prodding the vagus nerve to say, we are in a calm state. And now you can turn on. Now you can do your 
rest, digest, recover work. You can turn on the digestive system again. You can turn on the uh, anti-inflammatory system again. The breath truly is the answer to this. What we want to do is allow us to shift into this parasympathetic belly breathing state and train our bodies to be able to do so. And that's how the breathing pattern is going to positively affect your vagus nerve activation in which state you're in. You know, in the first 10 years of my anxiety recovery, everyone told me to take deep breaths. And most people did not explain to me how to do it. And I finally learned. But for me, uh, that created an, an extra anxiety for me in that I didn't trust it. You know, you get obsessed with feeling the air in your lungs almost. Mm -hmm. And you think the only way to do it is to do what I just did and go, <gasps> and I lift up my shoulders. And it took a while for me to be able to transition from not being so obsessed with feeling that completion, um, which you still can get from diaphragmatic breathing, but I would have to calm down first some other way. And then I would be able to do diaphragmatic breathing because I was, I, I don't know, I just trained myself wrong for, for so many years. What I love about your book, and I'll leave everyone with this to get it on their own. So few books do this. They'll say, oh, do this exercise. You, you really spell it out at the end chapter here. You've got yeah. weekly practices for activating the vagus nerve. You tell people how many times a week they should do it. Monthly practices. And, you know, when you talk about social interactions, one to two times weekly, listening to music, meditation and mindfulness practice three to seven times weekly. I mean, these are things that you can incorporate into what you're already doing, you know, yeah. right before you go to bed or something like that. And, and now that we know how much the vagus nerve controls and all the stress that it has, I'm hoping that people understand how important it is to, to do these things, not just when we're feeling stressed was my point. Exactly. Yeah. It's something that needs to be practiced and, and built out as like a day-to-day -day practice. So even if you go back one page, there's even the daily practices there as well, which talks about gargling and humming and gag reflex activation. If you want to go that far, like there's, there's quite a few things that we can do that we can simply tie to like brushing our teeth, for example, when you brush your teeth then gargle. Here's a great like 30 second add on to what you're already doing. If we can piggyback a lot of these newer habits onto older habits, make it an easy thing, then it becomes a practice that we can do on a regular basis. And this is where the compound effect really truly comes into play within our body. If we can be consistent and regular with these things, you can create really positive changes. All right. And as promised, I have some exercises for you. Dr. Habib and I were talking a little bit off mic after we recorded. And he said that something he's training himself to do is to turn the shower on extremely cold at the end of the shower. And you know how if you do that, you normally tense up. And so he's relaxing and doing, you know, calm breathing exercises during that, because bursts of cold like that and staying calm through it are really good for the vagus nerve. You know, I wish I could do that. I I can't believe, you know, usually there's nothing I within reason won't try. And I think it's within reason, but I can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> but that's something you could try if you aren't terrified of things that are freezing on your skin. There are some daily practices you can do to activate the vagus nerve that you might be doing already. But gargling, um, you can gargle twice a day when you brush your teeth in the morning and at night. Humming, you can hum on your daily commute to bookend your day. Practice humming deep in your throat. End your day with a cold shower. 
start with, um, you know, just 30 seconds. And as it becomes easier, increase the time by 30 seconds to 60 seconds every three days until maybe even your entire shower is taken under cold water. Something you can do daily is practice three to five minutes of deep breathing in a quiet space before each meal. This will help you calm down and improve your digestion. Sunlight exposure. Go out and expose your skin to the sun within 30 minutes of sunrise in the middle of the day and within 30 minutes of sunset for at least a minimum of five minutes. And you can put a pillow between your knees to keep you firmly sleeping on your side each night. Those are daily practices that you can do to activate the vagus nerve. And if you have time during the week, yoga, Pilates, or light exercise, any kind of habit of movement, sweating is important. Social interaction, maybe don't sweat um, and then go meet your friends. Take one of those cold showers in between. Make a point to meet with friends or family in person at least once a week. Laugh as much as you can. Listen to music at least a few times a week. Do grocery shopping. Do cleaning one to two times weekly. And a meditation and mindfulness practice five to 10 minutes a day, at least three times a week. And monthly, check into massage therapy, chiropractic care, acupuncture treatment are all great for stimulating the vagus nerve. So let's get into the specific takeaways from this episode. So the vagus nerve, V-A-G-U-S, connects to so many different places. It was named vagus as it comes from the root word vague, meaning wandering. The vagus nerve comes out of the medulla oblongata. It has different branches that go to a bunch of different areas, like all of the other 12 cranial nerves. They hit areas in the head and the face. It sends a bunch to the ear for skin sensation. It sends branches to the throat, the pharynx, and the larynx. Those are the muscles at the back of the throat that allow the airway to remain open. It helps to push and pull the vocal cord, and so the vagus nerve is what gives us the pitch and the tone in our voice. The nerve continues down and choruses in the neck beside the carotid artery and the jugular vein. It also innervates the heart to control the heart rate. It goes to the lungs to monitor the breath rate. It supports the inflammation response in all of these organs. And it continues on down with the esophagus and through the diaphragm into our abdomen. And it innervates essentially every single organ in the entire stomach, the spleen, the kidneys, the liver, the small intestine, and the large intestine. And innervate means to supply an organ or a body part with nerves. There is no other nerve in the body that does anything like the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is very important. If it gets severed, the function of our body is going to be severely limited. It's not worrisome if anything happens to the nerve, but trauma or injury to it would create significant challenges to people. 75% of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest, is signaled through the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve can be thought of as having more of a thermostat-type function than a signaling out from the brain function. According to Dr. Habib's book, quote, one of the most likely low-grade stressors that you may not be aware of is the bacteria lining um, and living in and around you. The population of bacteria living in your gut and on your skin has a significant effect on us. And if that population isn't optimally balanced, it can be a major stressor on your body, end quote. The science of gut health is that if there is... Um, um, oh, I'm going to mess up this word again. Microbiome imbalance. 
dysbiosis is going on within the gut and that affects gut health and causes an inflammatory reaction, which can affect autoimmune conditions and mental health. Not all bacteria and parasites in our gut are good and we need to protect ourselves from it and give our immune system the right tools to handle the threats. And that comes down to diet and even breathing. And that's due to the vagus nerve activity because the vagus nerve is supplying information to the gut lining. The inflammatory cells that control an anti-inflammatory system in the gut is controlled through the vagus nerve. What can exacerbate issues is that the vagus nerve is under too much pressure. In the same way that our car brake pads wear out, the vagus nerve can get overworked. If we're constantly providing inflammatory challenges to the body, the brakes are going to wear out. The vagus nerve can't handle a ton of constant chronic inflammatory issues that are constantly coming up. And over time, the tone is going to decrease. The ability for the nerve to send signals on a regular basis is going to lessen. We need to do the exercises that provide the vagus nerve an opportunity to do the work that it needs to do without providing more chronic inflammatory reactions on a regular basis. When we do deep breathing or meditation or gut health detoxes, what we're doing is decreasing the inflammatory triggers and giving the body a chance to heal itself. Inflammation is our body's response to trauma and stress in different ways. There are four different types of stressors that can trigger inflammatory responses. Emotional stress that can lead to brain fog and inability to think clearly and memory challenges. Psychological stress, different than emotional stress because psychological is related more to the past, the challenges we experienced as children that color the way we see the world today. Physical stress, this could be something literal, like a car accident caused whiplash, but basically acute inflammatory is necessary, but it means that cells are being repaired, but any extra inflammatory action is going to cause physical stress. Biochemical stress, this can be food sensitivities, whether you're allergic to gluten or dairy, or pesticides that are sprayed on foods, and organic laundry detergent, etc. Most people don't breathe correctly. If you observe a newborn baby breathing, their belly is rising and falling naturally. 90% of adults breathe incorrectly and they use their upper back muscles and accessory breathing muscles, which causes a hyperventilated state. The diaphragm is the primary breathing muscle, and so we need to be breathing through our diaphragm first. That's it. That's all I've got for you today. And I once again thank you for tuning into Anxiety Bites. You can send an email, anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com. Tell me what you love about the show, what you've learned. If you want to share things that you know about anxiety that work for you, I hope I get the chance to read it on air. Give it five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. Talk about it on social media. You can tag me on Twitter at Jen Kirkman. Tag me in your Instagram story. Also at Jen Kirkman on Instagram. And If you want to read the takeaways from this or any episode, head over to my website, jenkirkman.com and click Anxiety Bites. And of course, that link is in the show notes as we speak. Thanks again for listening. And remember, Anxiety Bites, but you're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.